Chapter 18 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley, Llano County, Texas, USA. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Frederick Lederhose. Translated by Gottlob Frederick Crotel. 1826-1907 Chapter 18 The Assembly of the Princes at Frankfurt and the Victories of the Reformation The Catholics and Protestants assumed a more hostile attitude towards each other, but the electors of Brandenburg and the Palatinate interposed and finally succeeded in bringing about a meeting of the princes in Frankfurt on the Main at the beginning of the year 1539. On the 31st of January, Melanchthon also went thither. From Weimar he wrote to Jonas that there was some hope of peace, for the princes manifested their readiness to bring it about. The emperor and King Ferdinand had likewise sent ambassadors. They were not regarded much before they had presented their efforts as to the conditions of peace. But when the imperial orator requested the mediators already mentioned to make propositions for peace. According to their judgment, a star of hope seemed to arise. The Count Palatine and the Margrave hereupon demanded a form of agreement from the Protestants in order to learn what they still missed in the Nuremberg religious peace. The Protestants complied with this request, they demanded that not only the states of the present time, but also those who should receive the gospel in the future, should receive full liberty, and especially also that the proceedings of the imperial chamber of justice should be stopped. Thus matters stood March 4th, as Melanchthon wrote to Jonas, but the ambassadors were stubborn, and would by no means consent to the proposed conditions of peace. He wrote to the Prince of Anhalt, quote, May God incline their minds to the love of peace. Quote. But this did not happen. On the contrary, the imperial ambassador overwhelmed the Protestants with accusations, although the mediators seemed more inclined to terms. Melanchthon wrote to Brentz, quote, The matter has almost come to that point that, as the emperor said, the time for arms and not for deliberations, seems to have arrived. Yet, although I tremble when I think what a very serious matter this is, I am sometimes surprised that our friends, who are so greatly irritated, do not break forth more violently. They could not effect an agreement. Thus time passed on, and Melanchthon, in the meantime, wrote three discourses in the German language, the first treated of the right of defense, if they should be attacked by their enemies. The second showed that upright persons could not take up arms against the Protestants. And the third, that all the godly must assist them. Some disputed the right of waging war against the emperor. Two years ago, the Wittenbergers had declared the lawfulness of this step, maintaining that the gospel did not oppose natural rights or public laws. All hopes of an agreement diminished more and more. 
and he was obliged to write to Camerarius on April 5th, quote, We have here been weaving the veil of Penelope. If we have rejected one form of peace, another is laid before us, which merely differs from the preceding one in words, but not in sense. Some maintain that they are treacherously procrastinating this matter. This has not frightened us as yet. I hope that the empire may remain undisturbed, although no fair conditions could yet be obtained from the imperial orator. He demands that we should not receive any new confederates. This shameful condition is introduced again and again with new sophistries, although it has been rejected repeatedly. In this you have the entire history of the convention. In the beginning, I disputed concerning a number of points, but when the imperial ambassador made such unreasonable demands, I ceased. And if no truce is made, we shall publish the reasons which induced us to reject those demands. For this purpose, he had prepared his three German discourses. Luther understood the state of things very well when he wrote that one party wished an open door for the gospel and the other locked it, and the matter was now so, that Christ and Belial must be united, or one must yield to the other. As the King of England still intended to enter into a league with the Protestants, and had therefore sent his ambassador, Christopher Mouat, to the convention at Schmalkald, Melanchthon again addressed a letter to him. In his letter, dated April 1st, he most earnestly urges the king that, as he had already reformed some abuses in the church, he should also abolish all remaining Roman ungodliness. At the same time, Louis von Bombach and Francis Burkhard, vice-chancellor of the electorate of Saxony, departed from Frankfurt to England. These messengers were received by the king in a very friendly manner, but they could not induce Henry to reform the church according to the principles of the gospel. When Henry demanded again that Melanchthon should be sent over, it was not done, for they saw very well that the king was not serious in this matter. He had also received Melanchthon's letter in a very ungracious manner. Henry was an obstinate man, who pretended to be a theologian himself. How ridiculous this his boasted learning was, is apparent, for instance, in the argument he advances for the necessity of good works. He argued, because evil works merit everlasting wrath, it follows that good works merit everlasting bliss. At the request of the elector and the landgrave, Melanchthon also addressed a letter to King Francis of France, in order to explain the character of the League of Schmalkald to him. This was brought about, not for bad ends, but simply to defend the gospel. He thus concludes this letter, quote, It is much to be desired that the greatest monarchs will prevent a suppression of the truth by unjust means. Quote. At last the convention of the princes at Frankfurt adjourned. On the 19th of April they agreed on a truce of fifteen months, and also a religious discussion to be held in Nuremberg, August 1st. We thank God, Melanchthon writes from Saalfeld, August 23rd, quote, that no one is permitted to begin war 
and that the peace of Nuremberg has again been established and renewed. But this was only gained by great exertions. End quote. He was now to have a more agreeable experience than he had been accustomed to for the past few years. On the 17th of April, Duke George of Saxony, this decided enemy of the gospel, departed this life. It is true, it is said, that he passed from this world with full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had already, in the beginning of this year, expressed a wish that a reformation of his dominions should be undertaken. But he wished a reformation like that of King Henry of England. He did not wish the scriptures to decide, but rather the traditions of the first eight centuries. However, Melanchthon, together with Chancellor Bruck and Busser, had gone to Leipzig in the beginning of January in order to negotiate with George von Karlowitz and George Wissel, who, after having become a Protestant, had returned into the bosom of the Catholic Church. These negotiations, however, were soon brought to a conclusion because the principles of the two parties were entirely opposed to each other. But now, after the accession of the Duke's brother Henry, the Reformation was accomplished easily and rapidly, for he was a friend of evangelical truth. It was indeed a blessing that death had carried off Duke George so suddenly, for, as Melanchthon relates in a letter to Camerarius, he intended to exclude his brother and the other heirs, and to bequeath his dominions to King Ferdinand. But it is evident in this case also that God's thoughts are often different from and always better than the thoughts of men. The new duke had an interview with the elector concerning the reformation of his dukedom on the 5th of May. May 22nd, Melanchthon, Luther, and Jonas went to Leipzig, where Myconius and Cusiger were already, in order to reform the church and university according to the gospel. On the 28th of May, they published their opinion in regard to the reformation of the university, in which they declared that, quote, All government is bound before God to abolish and forbid false doctrine and false worship, end quote. All preaching, discussions, reading, distribution of the sacrament, and all their ceremonies were to be forbidden to the monks because they continued to practice and would not forsake their blasphemy. The theologians of the university should be required, quote, to receive this doctrine, or, if they should be unwilling to do this, that they should not be allowed to lecture, dispute, or preach. Also, that it was highly necessary to introduce Christian doctrine into the schools and churches at the same time, end quote. In addition to this, they proposed Almsdorf, Dr. Hess of Breslau, or Alexander Alesius and Ziegler, as teachers of the Hebrew language. That it would also be necessary to increase the salaries, for twenty florins would no longer suffice in these times, especially as the professors were married. The abundance of the convents should be taken from them, and provisions made for poor students of theology because, quote, the rich do not become pastors and preachers, for, alas, they are ashamed of this high service of God, end quote. 
On Pentecost, the evangelical form of worship was introduced in Leipzig, and Luther preached a powerful sermon. On the 30th of May, we already find our friend Melanchthon busily engaged in Wittenberg, but his eyes were still bent upon Leipzig, where his two dear friends, Myconius and Cusiger, had to contend with the powers of darkness. He comforted and encouraged them in a letter dated June 6th, quote, I pray God and our Lord Jesus Christ to be with you and to preserve you in your conflicts and dangers. For I have no doubt that you have there become acquainted with the pharisaical, yea, diabolical, venom of the enemies of the gospel. But you know that your labor will redound to the honor of Christ, and you also know how much the empire should be benefited by the reunion of these countries. Therefore patiently endure labor and danger in so important a cause. Quote. Quote, we look for your letters with fearful anxiety and pray you to write more frequently. Here, by the grace of God, we have peace, only we have almost too much to do. End quote. On the 24th of June, he wrote to Duke Albert of Prussia, quote, According to the latest news, we learn that by the hand of God, the gospel has had a good and flourishing beginning in the dominions of Duke Henry of Saxony, as well as in Leipzig and other places. May our Lord Jesus Christ grant his grace to it. In Leipzig, we have begun to administer the sacrament in the true way, and they are also abolishing secret masses. A few days before, Myconius and Cusiger had a severe conflict with the Dominicans. The disputation lasted eight hours. After this, the university renounced the Roman Church. Many were, however, not at all satisfied with this Reformation, which was especially opposed by John von Maltitz, Bishop of Meissen. He sent a memorial to the Duke, which was either composed by Pflug or Witzel, and asked that the reformation of the defects of the church should be left to him. The duke sent it to the elector, who required an opinion from his theologians in regard to it. Melanchthon is the author of this opinion. Although this Meissen book, as the bishop's memorial was called, had taken up some portions of the true doctrine, in order to be more acceptable Yet, on the whole, it adhered to hereditary teachings and found fault with the Protestants. As Melanchthon, Luther, and Jonas appealed to the Holy Scriptures, they could easily refute the bishop's book. They therefore declare, quote, that they announced to the priests that they would not receive or approve of their book, and that they did not consider it calculated to effect the reformation and improvement of the church nor did it bring about a Christian agreement, quote. As Melanchthon had been so active in the reformation of the church and university in Leipzig, he was now commissioned to visit the churches in the duke's possessions in Thuringia and also some cities in Meissen. He discharged this duty and found a most lamentable state of things. We will extract some parts of his report. Of the minister at Vicency, he says that he was unlearned, frivolous, and led a scandalous life, 
that the people asked for a good pastor and displayed an affection for the gospel. Of the minister of Donstadt, he says, that he was a highly vicious person and should be deposed at once. The two preachers of Sanger House, although they had adopted the new doctrine, were accused of adultery. The minister in Freiburg is a venomous blasphemer, sent thither by Eck, and ought to be deposed forthwith. He also proposed persons for these vacant places. Myconius should be lent for a time to Annaberg. He thus discharged his duty in the region which he had been appointed to visit in a most earnest and conscientious manner. He also enjoyed the great satisfaction of hearing that his dearest friend in the world, Joachim Camerarius, had been called to a professorship in Leipzig in 1541. He had not long completed his labors in the dominions of the Duke when he received a call from the elector of Brandenburg, Joachim II, to come to Berlin in order to give his advice in regard to the introduction of the Reformation in that country. We have already seen that the elector had acted as mediator in the assembly of the princes at Frankfurt. So he also wished to introduce a church discipline of this character, which was strongly tainted with Catholicism, although he wished the preachings of the gospel to remain free. Melanchthon, who met the elector about the 12th of October, induced him to change his church discipline after the pattern of that of Nuremberg although he still retained much that was Catholic. He wrote to Dietrich that private masses were abolished, that the priests were permitted to marry, that the invocation of saints was abolished, that the preaching of the pure doctrine was enjoined, and that the Lord's Supper was distributed in both kinds. End of chapter 18 Recording by Bill Mosley